Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information about Home Church, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Happy Resurrection Easter Sunday. I know, uh, I know we are to live in light of the resurrection every single day, every single gathering, but there is something so special uh, about this time. Uh, across the nations, you have people of, of every ethnicity gathering together to just remember, reflect on the fact that Jesus conquered the grave. <laughs> he resurrected with a physical body. Uh, He did not just resurrect in soul or spirit, for that would not be defeating death, but only redefining it. Uh, But he defeated death. He actually came out with a physical body. Because the ultimate hope is that heaven will be on earth. It's it's God's kingdom on the earth. Uh, And in some form or fashion, what's happening here right now, but free of sin and everything else. But Jesus conquered death, and there's incredible hope. So I pray this morning that you you would experience... Uh, even in the smallest measure, the hope that comes with, with what we're recognizing today. Um, I, I just want to put before you, before we jump into this, that um, it's just hard, it's hard to summarize the, the power of this morning. And my whole life, my whole life is staked on the reality that there was an empty tomb. <laughs> my whole life is built on that. If, if, that's, not, if that's not real, my whole life's a sham. <laughs> It is. Everything that I'm doing is in vain, and it's, it's a waste. Every decision I make now, uh, I've walked away from careers and other things, and, and all of it's built on the reality that I believe there's an empty tomb and that that man who rose again called me into something, and I've walked away from it to follow him. And Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ has not resurrected, then our faith is in vain. It's a waste. We are to be most pitied. But if he has resurrected, well, then everything changes. <laughs> So I, I honestly, I believe like what we're coming around this morning, it is the most demanding reality in the world. Because if it's not true, it actually demands everything from us to go into the nations and tell people, stay away from this. Like if there's one who claimed he rose again, but he really didn't, we need to tell everyone that this is a lie. But at the same time, if he really did conquer the grave, we need to go into all the nations and tell people that he did that. <laughs> there, there's, there's no middle, middle ground. Uh, Tim Keller says either you're running towards God or away from God. If you're not doing either, it just shows you don't really know who God is. There's no middle ground with the Lord. He wasn't just a good teacher, although he did have good teachings, but he, he claimed to be God, he claimed to be the Messiah, and he claimed to conquer death and appeared. And I'm going to stake the fact that not only the scriptures prove it, but there's living proof in this room. That, that 2,000 years after the resurrection of Christ, people all across the nations in the most remote place are having similar experiences of encountering this man uh, who once lived uh, in Jerusalem and, and is alive again. So um, I just pray you'd be invited into that and just feel the hope of, uh, of what we're celebrating. Um, this morning, I want to take a few minutes. And I, I, again, I just, I'm finding a deeper passion than ever for the word of the Lord right now. And I pray that um, you just be ready to eat this morning <laughs> and encounter Jesus. And uh, we'll make room for that at the end for sure. But ultimately where we're going to go is John chapter 20. We're going to look at the resurrection account from John 20. Um, But as you're turning there, what I want to put before you 
Again, that's John chapter 20. This is the resurrection account we're going to look at this morning. But what I want to put before you that kind of summarizes where we're going is that there's two things on my heart this morning and both come, come through the, the, the account of John very powerfully and that is that with the resurrection, number one, comes new creation. Now, new creation is a profound concept. First and foremost, yes, it applies to our own lives. So there is hope this morning, or there's a, a reminder for some or, or, or an invitation this morning for others that with the resurrection of Christ comes the reality of new creation, which means not just some external adjustments to your life, but you can actually be so radically transformed that the only way Paul can describe it in 2 Corinthians, it's like you're a different species. <laughs> he says you're, you're on this trajectory now because of the work of Christ in your life and the Spirit of God living in you that he says you are literally a new creation now. So this is, this is about the former things, the old things. Everything attached with sin is fading away from your life. This is, the, this is the trajectory that we're on, and there's a day coming where Christ will return and bring it into its completion. But what I want you to see this morning is, yes, new creation for us, but a lot of times that's the, the where we stop with the resurrection. So I want, I want you to feel that for yourself, but I also want you to know that there, Paul would say what's happening in our lives is actually a microcosm of what's happening in the heavens and the earth. He's actually creating a new heaven, a new earth, and that's, and that's not a destroying of the old one. He's actually, he's redeeming it and renewing it by the Spirit of God. Like everything right now, it, what we're going to see is the scriptures say that God is reconciling all things in heaven and in earth. Throughout the scriptures, and especially Revelations 21, you see it, that God is making all things new. And I want you to know that his answer, where that started, it's not in the distant future. It was at the resurrection of Christ. Where is the initiation of God restoring and making all things new? At the cross. When Jesus rose from the grave, new creation broke in. It's such good news. <laughs> Everything is on a path of being made new, that which is in Christ. So I want us to look at that this morning. There's new creation this morning. That This is so significant that, listen, our, the blessed hope is that God is making all things new. That, that there is literally, heaven comes down on earth is how it ends, and God, there's a renewed earth. Just like the garden, Revelation 21, ends with the garden again. That means the old things have passed away. No more tears, no more sin, no more suffering, no more sickness. Like, it's, it's unbelievable to process this. If you have loved ones who, who have put their faith in Christ, who have passed away, you will be with them on the earth forever in a resurrected body. Like, this is where it's going, but what I want us to see is that that hope of all things being made new is not happening by happenstance. God made a decisive action in the earth that changed the trajectory of the cosmos and our life. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was the inauguration of the new has started now. So new creation is here, and with that comes new commission that John will, John will go through, and it's so powerful. For if everything now is being made new, if that's the hope, it changes the way we view everything. <laughs> changes the way the church operates. It changes the mission of the church. Uh, the picture I had is just like when you put on certain glasses that have tint, right? Orange tint, whatever it is, yellow tint. When you start viewing the hope of where everything's going and how the resurrection is the beginning, it's like you put on shades of hope that everything you see now is being tainted or, or in a good way is being hit by that tint, <laughs> the tint of the hope of the Lord. So I want us to see this morning, there's new creation for the resurrection and new commission as well. So again, if you haven't, turn with me to John chapter 20. I want to invite you to, to really follow along. We're going to dive deep into this. 
Are you guys following me? Our mission as a church, it is so clear. We are not longing to abandon creation. We are actually being sent in to renew it. And when Jesus comes back, he will consummate what he started at his resurrection. So we're, we're going to cover a lot of John 20, but we're not going to read it all. I'm going to highlight three important parts that, that really connect the resurrection, again, to new creation, new commission. And we're going to start right in the opening verse. And this verse is so important, so I want you to really, really listen in because this sets a stage for us for the rest of today. So John chapter 20, verse 1. John says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Okay, stop. <laughs> this verse is a verse that I've just breezed over many times, but what John is saying here, this is so significant for how John views the rising of Christ from the tomb. For John will say very clearly, he says, now this is the first day of the week. Okay, there's something that John wants us to know. And here's how you know this is, is significant for a few reasons. Number one, just stay with me, and then this is going to break open. Verse 19 of John 20. Look what he says when Jesus appears to his disciples who are hiding in fear. Verse 19 says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week. Do you guys see that again? John emphasized this twice. He really wants us to know that there's some type of connection with the rising of Christ with the first day of the week. The other thing that makes this so significant is that when you look in the scriptures and it describes the resurrection of Jesus, almost always the New Testament writers, Jesus himself, will always refer to it as three days after he died. So Jesus will say, if you destroy this temple, I'll, I'll raise it up in three days. In other words, we would expect John to follow that pattern and say this is three days after Jesus was crucified. But that's not how he writes it. He says this is the first day of the week. There's something very significant that John wants us to see connected to new creation coming because of the rising of Jesus. Now here's where it really comes in. Just, just stay with me here. Look at chapter 19. There's something about Jesus fulfilling old creation and initiating the new. John 19, verse 5. Here it is. John 19, verse 5 says, So Jesus came out. He's before Pontius Pilate and the crowds. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, to the crowds, Behold the man. Now stay with me here. This was on Friday, which according to the Jewish week, that's the sixth day of the week. On the sixth day of the week, there is this unique, important declaration that Pontius Pilate's not even really aware of what he's declaring in the bigger picture, but he's saying before the crowds, behold the man on the sixth day of the week. What happened in original creation? Who was created? Man. Now, at the end of the sixth day in original creation, what happens? The Lord says in Genesis 2, 1 and 2, the work was finished. Come to John 19, verse 30. Jesus, as he's on the cross, this is John 19, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he says, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And then you go to the end of chapter 19, and it says specifically that they laid, or the other scriptures, the way it's uh, translated, is Jesus was rested in a tomb, in a garden tomb, which was seventh day. So in the beginning, right, you have six day, God creates man, 
Then he says the work's finished. Then on the seventh day, God rests. Here, Jesus on the sixth day says, behold, this man goes to the cross. It says, it is finished. And then on the seventh day, he's rested in the tomb. So that when you get to John 20, verse 1, listen carefully. Now John says, now, on the first day of the week. What John is saying is that Jesus fulfills the old order of creation that was tainted by sin, death, decay, puts it to death in his own body. And when he rises again, John says, behold, the new creation has come. The new day is upon us. How does John's gospel begin? In the beginning was the word. Original creation. Now what he's saying is, in the new beginning was the word. The new day is upon us. Like, this is so much bigger than my little life. Your hope, every longing of the human heart for sin and suffering and sickness, all that to be dealt with, when Jesus cracked through that tomb, it was the inauguration of it. It has been set in motion now. Look, it goes even deeper here. This is so beautiful. It says about Mary in verse 1, that while it was still dark, Mary went. Do you guys see that? Okay, John writes a lot about light and darkness. It's very important to him. And there's a whole teaching on that. But Mary, while it's still dark, the picture is that while Mary's coming to the tomb, she left while it was early. It was dark. Mark's gospel specifically says when she gets to the tomb and sees that it's, the, the tomb is empty, that the sun has risen. Okay, so Mary's in darkness. John's wanting you to know as she's traveling, she's in darkness. But when she gets there, we know from Mark's account that the sun has just risen. How does creation begin? Darkness is over the land, right? And then what's the first thing God does? Let there be light. <laughs> so as she comes, she's walking in darkness. It's a sign of still like the old creation. But when she gets there and sees the tomb is empty, light comes forth and it's like God saying, let there be light again. New creation has come. Guys, the resurrection is so much more than just God proving that he can do miracles. I mean, we see that, and that's clear, and he's powerful, but it's bigger than that. It's bigger than just a happy ending for Jesus who had severe mistreatment, although it's a glorious turn of events. But the resurrection is God inaugurating new creation in the midst of the old. In the midst of the old order, God broke in and says the new is beginning right now. This is the hope that we have from resurrection. All things are being made new. It's literally the starting point for where it says in Revelation 21 that everything's being made new. Where does that happen? It's not at a future date. It has started in Christ. This is the turning event of everything. The picture that I have is uh, imagine like broken down concrete that's decaying. If you don't know what that looks like, come see my driveway. <laughs> if anyone knows how to do that, come on over. <laughs> But seriously, imagine just broken up, decaying concrete, but then in the midst of it, also see my driveway for this. There's a little piece of green grass coming right up from it. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, the old creation, it's like this broken, beat up concrete that's decaying. But the rising of Christ was like this shoot of grass coming right through it. And now, from that beginning till he returns, the church's role that we're going to see is to extend garden-like imagery all throughout creation renewing and reviving it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know Mark's gospel, it's amazing, Mark's gospel begins by saying this, the beginning of the gospel. <laughs> that's, how it's, that's, how, that, that, that's how it's written, the beginning of the gospel. Now Mark is writing to Romans, and I just want to put this before you that 
a lot of the words that we hear, that we just say, oh, that's a Christian word. Gospel was used by the writers uh, to give language and understanding to how we are to understand what the Lord is doing. But gospel was a word that was used in their culture. This is what happens all the time. They, they, they're using words, the writers, to give understanding to what God is doing. But those words existed in culture before uh, the, the unfolding of God's plan, right? And before we know it, how we know it today. So therefore, if you really want to understand those words, you have to first understand how they were used in the culture. So when John, uh, Mark writes, the beginning of the gospel, the gospel was a word that the Romans used all the time. It means good news. The way that they would use it is when a new emperor would, be, would rise to power. For example, they called it the gospel of Caesar Augustus. That's where it was really used. It was the good news of Caesar. And what it was about, it was about a new king who is now reigning and ruling. So when Mark writes in the very beginning of his gospel, the beginning of the gospel, the Romans that are hearing this would have understood right away, wait a minute, what is he saying? There is a new king here now. It is the beginning of a new reign, of a new day, for one has come, has conquered all. So Jesus' life, it's, it's, it's the beginning as we worship this morning, it's the beginning of the new day. It's, it's, it's the beginning of the new. The Lord has, has started in his son, Jesus Christ. Now, Something that's really important for this is that this would have been startling for the Jews. And here's why. Mainly, not because so much of just the resurrection. Because actually most of the Jews, outside of the Sadducees, believed in resurrection. But for them, their whole hope hinged on the resurrection, but they saw it as a future universal resurrection. So this is why when Jesus comes to Lazarus' tomb and sees Martha, if you remember, he asks her, he says, do you believe that your brother will rise again. And her response is, yes, I believe, but in the last day. So that was the standard belief, their hope of a new life, new creation, kingdom of God on the earth. They were looking forward to a forward day. What makes Jesus' resurrection so startling to his earlier followers is that what that meant is that their future hope had broken into their present. This is what blew their mind. They're saying, wait a minute, we were looking down the road, but now it has actually come to us in the present. Therefore, the resurrection, guys, is not just a hope for the future. It's a hope from the future, in your now. The resurrection is actually what we longed for. Everything being restored, it's begun in the man, Jesus Christ. God has brought his future, his putting all things right future, right into our present. And then he commissions us as the church to work that into creation until he returns. This is the hope of resurrection. Everything shifting. Now, some... Some would say, but why do we still see sin and suffering <laughs> and evil? This is really important, guys. Why do we still see these things, sickness, uh, signs of the old creation? And here's, here's how I want to put it before you is that we're living in what's known as the already not yet of this new creation, of the kingdom of God. And so what that means is that when Jesus broke in and he rose from the grave, the new has really come. The kingdom of God is here. The age of the spirit is upon us. There's nothing more in the future except for what, what's, what took place at the resurrection. It's being worked through creation now. Christ will come back and bring it to completion. But there's no other event. This is the answer, is Jesus. But why do we still see these things? It's because even though it's already started, it's not yet in its completion or its fullness. That comes at the consummation when the Lord returns. So why do we see evil, suffering, sickness? It's because the church right now, we're living in the overlap of two ages. We're living in the present age or the present uh, the original creation, if you will, that's marked by sin, death, and decay. But there's another age that's broken in. It's the future age, if you will, the age of the kingdom, the age of new creation. 
This is why we see healing, salvation, deliverance, restored families. This is why we see purity, holiness. We're living in this tension where we're seeing both. Now, what we're going to see is that as the church, our job is to extend the, 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 the new that has come in, to extend it into the old until the Lord returns. But this is why some people can be touched and you see some being healed and others not. is because we're in this tension. But make no mistake about it, it has begun. It has begun. Everything is changing. A new day is upon us. There is hope this morning. The only reason why someone can get saved this morning is because new creation has come. Deliverance, healing. Um, one of the ways that I was thinking about this week, to, to picture it, if this helps, the Lord is really ministering to me on this, is um, this tension of the already, not yet. I know all of you have been to the beach at some point. Uh, imagine going down to Smith Point Beach, and imagine it's a beautiful sunny day, and you're laying out there with your friends, and you've got your food and, and drinks, whatever you guys are doing, your snacks, and you're hanging out. And as you're hanging out, and you're laying out there, and it's a beautiful sunny day, you feel something hit your shoulder. Not bird poop, don't worry. <laughs> but you feel something hit your shoulder and you look and you don't see anything, but you ask, you ask your friends, is it raining? And they say, I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything. And so you keep hanging out, talking, you're lying there, and all of a sudden, drip, 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 a few more drops come on your arm. Now you look and you see raindrops, and you're like, guys, it is definitely raining. And they're like, I don't feel anything. But a few more minutes go by and then one of your friends comes up off the chair and says, oh no, I felt it too, it is raining. And within a few minutes, black clouds come bellowing in and there is a torrential downpour where everyone gets soaked. This is how it has begun with Christ. Right now, there's droplets coming here and there. So we're in the middle of a service and, and the Spirit of God's moving and this person gets touched and they say, I was touched. My, I was healed. I was delivered. Salvation's coming. And then all of a sudden, it says, well, I didn't feel anything, but then drips are coming over here. And all of a sudden, it's working through, but there is a day coming when the whole thing will open up. A downpour will come. But it has begun in Jesus Christ. This is, what he's, this is why we can see this, because the, the new creation age is upon us. Hallelujah. So look, there's two responses I find in the world to evil and to brokenness that we see. And it's not just within the church, it's in general. And this is really important to have a gospel, Christ-centered worldview. Number one, a, a big view when we see evil is to abandon. A big view is to say, well, let's just escape. Let's evacuate. That is counter to the gospel message. The Christian church is not to evacuate. The Christian church is to be worked in to declare that the new has come until Christ returns. You don't even have to go to any other scriptures for this. All you have to do is think about the resurrection. The resurrection did not occur outside of this earth. It was an event that took place within this earth. Therefore, its implications and effects are primarily within this earth. God came into the earth. He did not re remove us from it. He came in in order to rise again for the hope of renewal in the earth. So we're not, as a church, just trying to abandon the earth. That's not what Jesus... Pentecost is not God removing people. It's the Spirit of God being poured out to be agents of renewal. That's the whole point. So we're not looking to abandon, but at the same time, what we have to be careful of is another, uh, I think, fallacy, which is this, people call it different things, but evolutionary optimism. It's a fancy word, but here's what it basically means. Things are going to get better just because that's how it's meant to work out. And so you'll find a lot of political leaders run on this type of optimism. They're promising a better day 
They're promising a brighter future, and in that, amen, they can't even imagine, I think, the, the greatness of, of our future according to the scriptures. The problem is if you listen carefully, the process to get to that better tomorrow is always rooted in man coming together to try harder, to do more. If we just can come together and work together, we will have a better tomorrow. And here's the problem is that the scriptures say our future is glorious, but it's not happening by chance. It's not happening by man merely picking themselves up and trying harder. The reason why we have a glorious future is because God did something decisively in the midst of history that has changed the trajectory of the cosmos. It's not because things are just gradually getting better because that's the way it is. No, the Christian worldview says, oh, it's a glorious future, but because one has come. I'm all for progress, but it's progress by the cross. <laughs> So this is Colossians 1, 15 to 20. It says he's the firstborn over original creation. He's the firstborn from the dead, which is new creation. In other words, as sin and death and all these things entered in, they're not just gradually disappearing. It's because one step in took on the full weight of corruption from the original order, put it to death in his body, and when he rose again, John says, it's the beginning of the new day. It's the beginning of the new creation. It's the beginning of new life. This is why as Christians we can be confident for the glorious future that we have. Hallelujah. So what creation needs is neither abandonment nor just evolution. We need the cross and the subsequent outpouring of the Spirit. And it started in Jesus. So John, all that to say, John says, this is the first day of the week. Resurrection is the beginning of the renewal of all things. Now I won't read all the scriptures that follow the immediate ones, but verses 2 through 10... Peter and John come to the tomb. They're amazed that the tomb is empty. They run inside. They see cloths lying there. Man, that's actually really significant, but we can't get into that right now. <laughs> you know what? No, no I got I to gotta share this. This has nothing to do with what we're saying, but it's so good. There's some different thoughts on why the cloth is, John says it's, it's folded and placed there. But one of the thoughts that is amazing is something that was um, relevant in Greek culture. We find in our culture today. And I'll, I'll put it this way. How many of you have ever gone to a nice restaurant and when you're sitting with a friend or a spouse and you get up to go to the restroom, what should happen at a nice restaurant is that your waiter or waitress will come and fold your napkin and place it down because they know that you're coming back. It's a sign that you're returning. And so when they fold it and see his, his, cloth, his faith clothes folded there, it was a sign that Jesus was returning again. He'll come back. But let's look at verse 11. This is where we pick it back up. Verse 11 says, everyone there, John 20, 11. But Mary stood, weeping outside the tomb. Peter and John have left. And as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. That's actually meant to invoke imagery of the mercy seat the way the two cherubim sat on the ark of the covenant it was the mercy seat now the mercy seat in the new covenant is the body of christ and verse 13 says they said to her woman why are you weeping <laughs> jesus will say the same thing i love this from heaven's perspective it's completely incompatible to have weeping at an empty tomb <laughs> can't go together it's not that we don't experience pain but when we come back to the reality there's an empty tomb they're asking why how could you weep here when the tomb has been empty and they said, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. She probably thinks grave robbers have come. And I do not know where they have laid him. Verse 14. 
Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. Now listen carefully. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? This is the key. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And then Jesus, of course, will say, Mary, and she'll recognize it's the Lord. Now here's what's important is that Nothing is on accident in the scriptures. Now, Mary doesn't recognize who Jesus is. Why? Some say it's a very natural reason. It's early in the morning. She's been weeping. And she has, it's not even on a grid that she's going to find Jesus there alive. So we're saying, how could you not recognize this? But this is the last thing she's thinking to encounter. Or it's something very supernatural. God is disclosing who he is or, or you know, he's, he's hiding who he is from her. But either way, what's important for us this morning is that who, who she mistakes him to be. Because even though she made a mistake, she made the right mistake. For she thought that Jesus was the gardener. And what John is trying to get us to do is he's staying on this new creation theme. And what he's saying is, in the same way when God created all things, he placed Adam there who worked the garden, which was a picture of being God's steward, God's representative on the earth, God's image bearer. But he ultimately sins and curse comes in. Now you have the true gardener, the second Adam, who's coming to reverse everything that came from the curse in Adam. But the whole point is that God, in the same way that there was a gardener in the beginning, if we're going to have Revelation 21 ends with the picture of a garden again, if we're going to have that again, how is that going to happen on the earth? You need a gardener to come back. So Jesus steps in the gap as the true gardener now, reversing and undoing the works of Satan that came in through Adam's disobedience. So that at the end, it's going to finish. Revelation 21, again, ends with a garden. The, the hope of eternity is that the earth is going to be like it was in the beginning. Not in the sense that we're going back to a primitive place, but it's going to be free of sin and sickness and suffering and everything that the human heart longs to be set free from. How? Because a gardener came. And a gardener came and did what the first gardener failed to do. So just listen to this. You don't need to turn here. But Isaiah 55, I was uh, unpacking Isaiah last week. Specifically, 53 is the suffering servant. Crystal read it this morning. It's the cross of Christ. It's one of the greatest prophecies and dialogues of his sufferings. So when you read Isaiah, chapter 54, 55, 56, the way I like to explain it is it's the fruit or the results of the suffering servant. And in it, Chapter 55, verse 13. Here's one of the descriptions of what comes from Jesus being crucified. Here's what it says. It says, Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, and instead of the thistle shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So here's what it says. It says, As a result of Jesus' death, this is all prophetic imagery, it says thorns and thistles are going to be removed and replaced with Lush vegetation. What does thorns and thistles represent? Well, when you go back to Genesis 1, when Adam had sinned in Genesis 3, one of, the, one of like the key statements of the curse that entered in is God says thorns and thistles will touch the ground now. So when Jesus comes on as the second Adam, the true gardener, he's removing the curse from the earth. Actually, in, in Matthew 19, 28, Peter's asking basically, uh, you know, we've left everything. What will we have? And Jesus is saying, you're going to rule with me in the coming age. 
And Jesus says, there's going to be thrones. At the renewal of all things, you'll sit on thrones with me. At the renewal of all things. And the point I just want you to know is the renewal of all things. The word there in the Greek is palagenesia. It's two words. Palin means back to. Genesia is the Greek form of Genesis, which means uh, beginning. The renewal of all things is back to the beginning. Where is it all going? Where it started. How is it getting there? Not by chance. For where first Adam fell, the second Adam came. That's what John is trying to show us. New creation coming out from the resurrection of Jesus. All right, let's finish this off. Verse 16. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means my teacher. It's very personal, not just rabbi. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I just love that, the intimacy that Jesus is saying. He's opening up the fellowship he has with the Father to us. But then verse 18 says, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. We've preached on this before. The first resurrection sermon is five words. I have seen the Lord. And i got to say this again because it's so important. Who is the one who preached it? A woman, Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is the first one to come and share. Five words she shared, I have seen the Lord. <laughs> this is amazing. Mary Magdalene, if you know her backstory, she was plagued by seven demons. That's all we know. There's stories about her being promiscuous. That's actually not in the scripture, but what we do know is she was a demoniac. She's got a broken past, and God, the God of the universe, will entrust the first sermon of his, the resurrection of his son to this woman. You, you have to understand, in these days, in these days, whether we like this or not, women were not viewed as reliable witnesses. The last thing you would ever do is entrust a witness, a story, to a woman. This just proves that this story is not made up at all. For if you made it up, you would put it in someone who people would believe. But God is, in his wisdom and mercy, has entrusted it to this woman who has a broken past. But she will preach the first sermon. That's another message, though. All right, verse 19. Here's the end. New creation, here comes new commission. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus is gone. They think they're going to be persecuted. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. He says, look at my wounds. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. In verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Now listen carefully. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus breathes on them like this and says, receive the Holy Spirit, does that bring up imagery of anything? It's the garden. John just stays hammering this theme. What happened when Adam was first created? He lay lifeless until it says God came and breathed in his nostrils the life of God. And now what's happening is with the rising of Christ and the new creation that has come upon us, there is a new commissioning just like the original to Adam, which was go and extend the borders of Eden. Subdue the earth as you, as, you, as you are my representative and image bearer, but ultimately he fails. But Jesus has reinstated the original commission now with the great commission. And in the same way now, he breathes into his disciples and says, go, go make disciples of all nations. 
Guys, you know what's amazing is that what you'll never find in the Gospels regarding the resurrection is future-oriented language. But that's how we always interpret in the West. I know I always did. In other words, I would say Jesus, I would think Jesus would say, because I'm alive, I, I beat the grave. Uh, if you behave yourself, you can be with me one day. <laughs> or thou, there's life after death, which is true. But every gospel is emphasizing the now. He says, now that I'm alive, go. <laughs> go and begin to proclaim, announce that God is God, Jesus is Lord, sin, death, decay has been dealt with, the new world has begun in me, and you can gladly join in for, with forgiveness of sins and be a participant. God has empowered us by the Spirit to go. The last thing God is saying is, hey, I've resurrected, just hang on, and you can get out of here. Every single time he says, I'm alive, I'm the king. Go declare, be my heralds and say, the new has started. When will you come back? Well, that's their question. Well, don't worry. You do this. And when I come back, it'll be brought into its completion. But the gap between Resurrection Sunday and his return, the church is now empowered by the same spirit that Christ had. He says, as I was sent, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Not kind of, not a little bit. He says, Every, what I've done, that's what you will do. What did Jesus do? <laughs> forget what you've been taught. Forget what denomination you're part. What did Jesus do? Look how he ministered. He went around healing the sick, delivering people from oppression, leading the, the, the poor into the gospel of the good news. What are we supposed to do? That's what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's declaring all of that is signs of the new creation being here. You say, how will I ever be able to do that? It's not in your own strength. That's why he breathes on them and says, go. It's the spirit of God that rested on Jesus now rests on his church. Do you know when Jesus came up out of the waters at his baptism and the spirit descended on him, the gospel writers say it was like a dove. You know, you guys know that? It was like a dove. Why? At least in large part, they're invoking imagery from Noah, which is when the floods covered the, covered the earth, it was a sign of there was, there was destruction. But when the dove went out, the dove was a sign of a new beginning. The dove was a sign of a new day. Jesus, under the dove, came the, 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 the sign of a new day is upon you now. Jesus now gives the dove to his church and says, now you go out and continue declaring that a new day is here, that a new era is here, that new life is here in him. I don't know, I think that's amazing. <laughs> this, is, this is the hope of resurrection. Like, we get to go into the world and declare. All things are being made new. This is why Jesus goes around. Salvation for Jesus wasn't just like the soul, a lot of times that's what we talk about, and I understand it, but he wasn't, it wasn't just spiritual. Because the, the hope of eternity is on the earth with bo physical bodies. Jesus' salvation brought healing to bodies, brought deliverance to people. He saw reconciliation. He restored people back into communities. He wasn't just dealing with, like, just get your soul right. He was showing us what it looks like because every sign was a picture of the new. Like, and our work matters. Do you know that? If you think that the destiny, we don't have time to go into this, but if the, if the destiny of earth, no, no, we don't. If, if you think, listen, if you think that the earth is going to be uh, just crumbled up and destroyed, the imagery is like, why would I paint a beautiful picture if it's just going to be thrown in the fire? Why would I oil the, machine, the wheels of the machine if it's just going to go off the cliff? And a lot of times, 
we, we've got a view that actually comes more from Plato. This is why I don't want to go into it. Plato inf influenced the church uh, greatly with his, the spirit is good, all spiritual matters, all material matters are not good. It's caused the church to withdraw from like real life things and saying all that matters is spiritual things. But that's not what we see in the scriptures. And when you work and labor, you're not, you're not painting a beautiful picture that's just going to be burnt up one day. Because if you think that, it's like, well, what's the matter? Why would I ever engage in any type of act of kindness and justice and beauty? It's all going in the fire anyway. The fire of the Lord coming on the earth is the purifying agent that will bring about the new, not the destructiveness of it. So Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, the greatest chapter on resurrection, you would think, how does he close it? At the end, he says, uh, he says work, commit yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. In light of the resurrection, he's saying your labor is not in vain. Now you know everything you're doing, somehow God in his wisdom is going to graft it into his larger picture of making a new heaven, new earth. Somehow your acts of kindness and justice, you're going to see them for eternity. Songs that you've birthed on this side of eternity, you're going to sing forever before the Lord. Like if our bodies are all going to be restored, because that's where it's going, that means if you pray for someone now and they get healed, that just doesn't need to happen then at the end. <laughs> It's all being grafted in. Nothing's wasted. Nothing is in vain. So when we go out on mission, this is what we're thinking about. God, everything that I'm doing right now, somehow, you're going to fold this into your master plan of restoring and making all things new. Hallelujah. That's good news. So new creation, new commission. The new day is upon us. If John was here, he would say, don't you know, this is the beginning of the week. <laughs> Jesus cracks through that tomb. Behold, the new has come. Well, John, Jesus, what are we to do? <sighs> Receive my Holy Spirit and continue what I did. Be, be an extension of the second Adam. Be gardeners on this earth and work the ground, if you will, using that prophetic image. You work it until you see, until I return, and I'll bring it to completion. I'm actually, uh, I want to make room to pray for people. We're so happy you could join us on the Home Church Podcast. We pray this week's message encourages you to behold the Lord Jesus and bring his kingdom wherever you go. You can visit us online at myhomechurch.org, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us on social media. If you would like to give to this ministry, text the amount to 84321. Bless you.